Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. Today we're going to go back in our archives and play episode number 374, A Hedonistic Lifestyle Opens the Door for an Addiction to Pornography. I think that if you could identify the five most prevailing characteristics of American culture, surely one of them would be our commitment to pursuing pleasure. In 2019, the music industry in America took in $5 billion, the film industry, $35 billion, the video gaming industry, $43 billion, the sports industry, $73 billion, and television, a whopping $96 billion, totaling $265 billion that Americans spent on pleasure in 2019. And today, what we're going to show you is how a lifestyle like that opens the door wide for an addiction to porn. Stay with us. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote that men are endowed by their creator with the inalienable right to pursue happiness. Many of us believe that, but you're not going to find anything like that in Scripture. In other words, the pursuit of happiness may be an American ideal, but it's not a godly one. In this next segment, Brooks Popwell talks with Pastor Ed Book about this vital topic and asks, so is it wrong for a Christian to pursue pleasure? Pastor Ed, I think it would be fair to say that pleasure plays an extremely powerful part in any person's life. And it seems like that's particularly true nowadays in America. The Declaration of Independence even talks about our inalienable right to pursue happiness. And when I think about it, that's basically just another word for pleasure. So it seems like this pursuit of pleasure is really woven into the fabric of our society to the point where I just kind of take it for granted if I'm not careful. And my question for you is when you look around you, What evidence do you see that the pursuit of pleasure has become a fundamental part of our culture? Well, Brooks, you're certainly not alone in almost taking it for granted. It uh, it permeates our culture, and we've all grown up with it. Uh, Even the most devout Christian is going to struggle in some measure because of the way that pursuit of pleasure has, from the beginning and continued over these couple hundred years, to uh, increase within our culture and, and be a driving force. And I think we see it today in a lot of different ways, but I would just point out several. Uh, one is uh, medication, for example. Uh, it seems like we are just a society that is committed to avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. Those two things go hand in hand, and the medication is the avoiding pain piece of it. Or in some cases, we're misusing medication quite frequently. Millions of people have stepped across that line, even into addiction in that pursuit of pleasure. So medications, misuse of medications is certainly a key factor. Um, Even um, apart from that, I just see the prevalence of counseling and psychotherapy and the way we... uh, have turned to sources like that as a means of kind of either justifying our sin or looking at someone else to blame um, and dealing with things uh, in a very unbiblical way. It's almost like we will do absolutely anything except repent, which is what the Bible teaches us to do to 
uh, repent so that times of refreshing may flow from the presence of the Lord. And it just seems like we're uh, using and really, I want to say, misusing counseling and psychotherapy as a means of justifying ourselves in our pursuit of sinful pleasure. And you can look um, well past even those things because maybe most people feel like, well, I'm not in that. I don't do that. I'm not taking any medications or or participating in counseling. But what about the field of sports uh, and how huge of a uh, thing that has become in our culture? It's, uh, It's like we'll go to anything Uh, athletically, so to speak, to pump us up emotionally. And the more extreme now, even the better, you know, that whole extreme sports movement and entertainment, we're using it the same way. Anything to artificially stir up better feelings than the feelings I can generate on my own. And in the field of entertainment, it seems like the more sensual it is, the better we like it. We uh, pursue relationships trying to feed off of other people's emotions or manipulate a person into making me feel the way I want to feel. And, of course, uh, many times that's involving some sort of illicit sexual behavior as well. And the more forbidden or the more perverted those things are, the better we seem to like it as a culture. It does seem like we're both agreed the world around us pursues pleasure. But I also wanted to talk to you about the church in this because— it's almost like Christians have their own version of this lifestyle, like that God wants us to be happy and, and that we actually can enjoy life even more than unsaved people because we have Jesus on top of everything else. So would you agree with that, that Christians have embraced a religious version of this pleasure lifestyle? And can you maybe describe how that looks? Yes, uh, Brooks, I absolutely agree with you and find it very disheartening, um, but I certainly see that. I've, in my lifetime, I've had uh, some different occupations uh, within the field of ministry, and I've actually been able to travel around a lot and visit uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of different churches, maybe even over, over a thousand by now. And so I've, I've experienced quite a bit firsthand of the variety of churches and church life, church culture that is out there. And um, I can, I just tell you, Brooks, that my spirit grieves sometimes because by and large, and I'm sure there are pockets of exception here or individual churches, congregations that, you know, would, you could point to easily and say they are not in this. But in general, there is a flow of that pursuit of pleasure that has definitely crept into the church and, and people literally uh, seem to be using religion in the same way we use any of these other things that I just mentioned, the the medications, the counseling, the sports, entertainment, and so forth. Church is j- just another added piece of that pursuit of pleasure, so that literally I've been in churches and just stood there grieved as I looked around and, and, and realized that our churches have become more like theaters, and the worship music has become more like a concert or performance. And our pastors, we're requiring them to be something more like a motivational speaker um, than someone who is uh, calling us to repentance and to a life in holiness and pursuit of the Lord. So to me, I I use a a word sometimes that I guess I've kind of made up, uh, just American Christianity with kind of a hyphen between it, because there's this version of American Christianity that has become just another path to the pursuit of pleasure to me. Well, you know, looking at headlines recently, it seems like 
even the world is starting to wake up to the fact that something's missing in all this. I know there have been a lot of suicides lately. Um, fashion designer Kate Spade um, and Anthony Bourdain, the uh, TV star. I-, I even remember when I came to Pure Life a few years ago, that was right on the heels of Robin Williams' suicide, and that really saddened me. Um, I even read a quote by Jim Carrey who said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of just so they can see it's not the answer. So do you see in our culture, and of course in the Bible as well, that there are obvious dangerous effects that come on the heels of centering your life around pleasure? Yes, there there certainly are, and you're talking about one of them when you mentioned the suicide uh, issue, uh, which uh, I believe it was just earlier this week myself, I happened to see an article that indicated the rate of suicide had increased uh, something like 30% over the last uh, 15, 20 years. And, uh, and it just continues to climb an even higher rate of increase among uh, teenagers, younger people. Uh, so we see that. Um, in our culture, uh, I would point to something else as well uh, that I think is uh, a result of the danger of this lifestyle of pursuing pleasure, and that is simply the addictions that we see around us. Obviously, here at Pure Life Ministries, we deal with sexual addiction every day, and we know uh, from statistics that you find online and so forth that there are something like 10 to 15 million sex addicts uh, in this country But in addition to that, there are something like 25 million drug and alcohol addicts, and you could add in nicotine addicts, and I think that takes it up to 40 million, and just on and on. You know, it seems like uh, if we really look at the things people are getting addicted to, gambling, food, and and what have you, uh, there are just tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people have become addicted to things. And that is the result, I believe firmly, of this pursuit of pleasure being such a cultural force. And we see in the Bible that there are dangerous effects uh, listed there. Uh, Look at Paul's letter to to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, He was specifically addressing a very carnal lifestyle with very strong language that, uh, you know, kind of called into question, do you people have Jesus here? <laughs> because this isn't the way we live when we have Jesus in our life. And and severely rebuked them to the point where he had to tell them later that he was <laughs> almost regretted uh, being so strong with them. But then when he saw their response, he was able to say, but I'm glad I did it. It was worth it. It's what you needed and you responded the way I hoped that you would. And of course, we can look back to all the way in the Old Testament to Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that God had to destroy because that self-indulgent lifestyle had made them uh, a stench in his nostrils. And, uh, and I'm always, you know, when you consider that uh, story, Brooks, about Sodom and Gomorrah, I, I never want to forget that Jesus himself pointed back to that when he said uh, that we should remember Lot's wife. She was the one who looked back as the as Lot and his family was being led out of those cities by the angel messengers, and she looked back and was made into a pillar of salt instantly. And that is a, a picture for us, and Jesus pointed us back to it, of what happens to us. Our hearts get attached to these things that we find pleasure in, and we find it almost impossible to leave them behind, even with God himself taking us by the hand and trying to lead us out. 
that resonates with me when you say not looking back, because I know the thing God finally got through to me at Pure Life was to not take a step further down the road of sin. And um, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I've had to repeat that to myself so many times, and I live what many people would call a sheltered life, but I, I feel that. I feel like the, the sin I left behind, the sexual sin, uh, it, it just never stops knocking, and I kind of wonder to myself, is it going to? I, I feel like I know the answer is no. It's going to—I mean, the rest of my life, it's going to be there. Not that I'm still addicted, but it's, uh, it's amazing how that call is just constantly just right at your doorstep. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And, and, of course, you know, here in the ministry, it's one of the things we're constantly battling— in dealing with our residential program and the students going through that program because they come here and they leave. We physically separate them from almost all of those self-indulgent pleasures they've been pursuing, (laughs) and so they don't even have access to them. But when they leave here, there is that pull, that temptation to try and add some of it back in. And, And how far can they go before they've added too much back in and they're back in that flow of what we tried to help bring them out of. And it's a constant battle. And we're, of course, doing everything we can to warn them, don't get reckless about bringing those things back in your life that the Lord separated you from. So I think we're zeroing in on a blind spot in the church, which, like we said, is headed down this path. Can you just get right on that and talk to us about some reasons Uh, for Christians now, why it just won't work to try and live the Christian life, but at the same time pursue pleasure. Sure, I'll do the best that I can, uh, Brooks, because, uh, you know, several things kind of jump into my mind when you ask that question. Uh, I guess, first of all, I would say pursuing pleasure keeps my focus on my feelings. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I find it very challenging to uh, try not to live by my feelings. That's kind of, you know, our default (laughs) starting position, Uh, but it's not a biblical perspective at all. So uh, we need to every day override our feelings. And if you're like me, it starts right out of the gate, you know, just waking up and laying in bed in the morning. I have to override my feelings just to get me up out of bed. And uh, so, um, living a lifestyle, though, that is all of pleasure-focused, we would just lay there (laughs) endlessly as long as we felt like doing. And, of course, we'd fritter away most of the day uh, just living by our feelings. But we do it in other ways as well throughout the day. And, And I believe the Lord wants us to start taking notice and really redeeming that time so that we're not living by our feelings. A second thing that uh, I believe uh, is true is that pursuing pleasure uh, will keep the flow of your life on getting, receiving, uh, taking, instead of giving and serving, which is the emphasis the Lord has on the Christian life. And, uh, And again, it's one of those things like our default position is to be a taker, to be a getter, to arrange everything in our life so that it revolves around me and I set it up so that it nurtures me and benefits me and does what I want. You know, I'm a, I'm a taker from people and circumstances and everything in my, that makes up my life. But Jesus comes along and he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's the exact opposite flow. And, and so we have to 
go against that pursuit of pleasure if we're going to truly be focused on giving and serving rather than taking and getting. And a third thing I guess I would add, uh, Brooks, is that pursuing pleasure will also keep our affections set on the things of this world. We lose our love. That the, In Revelation, it talks about a church that has lost its first love. And I want to say that this pursuit of pleasure is one of the reasons why that happens to so many people. Because in that pursuit of pleasure, your affections are getting ever drawn down onto things of this life, things of this world, instead of being set on the things above, which is exactly what the Lord told us in Colossians 3, 2. He said to set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And um, pursuing pleasure will always draw us and draw our affections to the things of this world. I want to interject something here, and that's that I can't help thinking, man, this sounds like a negative message, negative message. And yet, I, I stopped to think about it, and I realize that it seems like you're going to create more problems for yourself as a Christian if you don't hear this message and take it seriously, because then, I mean, you're going to be trying to live the Christian life, right, which is about obedience and following the Lord, but you're going to constantly be tripping over yourself uh, by not having dealt with this other drive, this competing drive for pleasure. Would you say that Christians are kind of uh, hindering themselves if they're not willing to take this seriously? Yes, they, they are, Brooks. And I guess, uh, you know, the reason it seems negative, I can understand what you're saying uh, by that. But on the other side of it, we have to look at what we're forfeiting by pursuing pleasure. And the thing that I think is uh, most at stake is the self-control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They're, they're at odds with one another. And when I'm given over, and I have been in my life, believe me, but, and when I've been given over to the pursuit of pleasure, I had no presence and no power of the Holy Spirit in my life to restrain me even when I found no more pleasure in those things. The passing pleasure of sin, it had come and it had gone and I was still pursuing them as if it was going to generate pleasure knowing even before I clicked or even before I looked that it wasn't going to do it. And, uh, and I believe that if as Christians we come to the re- understanding that what God wants to put in place of this pursuit of pleasure is his Holy Spirit and his gift specifically of uh, self-control as a fruit of his spirit in our lives, we won't be uh, so negative in our outlook of this. Well, now we're shifting to, like you said, the other side of it, which is a life that you can have if you are willing to restrain this pursuit of pleasure that is just our default. And so talk to us more about that than this, the alternative life that the Bible presents, that Jesus presents to us. I mean, even from your own testimony, what, what will that look like? We're just, we see so many negative examples around us. Give us an idea of what we can expect going forward. Well, Brooks, uh, to answer that question, a couple of verses of Scripture actually come to mind. Uh, the, the first uh, one is the passage where Jesus is relaying the parable of the sower, and he talks about uh, that pleasure being one of the things that was present on the thorny ground that robbed 
people of their fruitfulness. It said it choked out the word of God in their lives. So if you turn that to the positive side that I think Jesus was trying to emphasize for us, we'll see that our lives are much more fruitful, much more productive, and consequently, even our emotions eventually line up with that, and we have a real, true, lasting joy that doesn't come from this world or the things of this world, so it's not swayed and buffeted and diminished by what goes on in the world around us either. And Jesus said some would produce a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold in terms of the fruit of their lives. Uh, So that's definitely been uh, the experience that I've seen in my life and in the lives of other people. And the other verse that comes to mind is in Psalm 16, where we're told that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And I want to make it clear that there is a distinction in Scripture between those worldly pleasures that we've mostly been talking about and uh, pleasures that are eternal or heavenly. And God has pleasures for us. I want every listener to know that with a certainty, that God has pleasures for his people beyond what we can even imagine, truly. And in fact, we'll spend all of eternity having him reveal those pleasures to us and allowing us the full and complete, uh, I think in that setting, unrestrained uh, enjoyment of those pleasures. But we're not there yet as long as we're here. And that's why in my personal life, you know, I wrestle with this a lot. And I have to find, I find, Brooks, that I have to revisit it uh, periodically because those things tend to creep back in or my flesh finds some new avenue for pleasure that I later realize I've turned into something either outright sinful in a handful of cases or just, you know, I'm overdoing it and it's diminishing uh, the life of God in me as a result. And so obvious places for people to consider uh, that uh, the same things I've had to do is take a hard look at television Uh, movies, the content of those sorts of things. Uh, You know, very early on in my Christian walk, the Lord himself just put it on my heart to remove the television from our house. I I realized somehow, and I'm sure it was his spirit because I wasn't in a place to come (laughs) to this on my own, but I just realized that I could not walk a Christian walk with a television in my house. And my wife and I went for years, actually, without even a screen, (laughs) without a DVD player, any of it. And then after a while, we did bring a DVD player in the house. And, uh, you know, we've had to be careful and at times go through the DVD collection, so to speak, and realize now we're starting to stray into uh, things that are just more appealing to our flesh than our spirit. And, And that is a challenge. So that's one area where people... I think can make some obvious inroads in lining their life up with scripture more, more truly. Uh, books would be another area, the internet, uh, you know, making sure that you have a filter on that thing and even some time limits, uh, on your access to the internet. Uh, for me personally, I, I'm a news junkie. If I (laughs) let myself go, uh, my undergraduate degree was political science. I really love to follow politics and politicians and things like that, but it just really gets in the way of my life of God, and and the Lord has shown me how to let a lot of that go completely. While we're talking about real-life examples there, I wish everybody could go through a time like all of us had to at Pure Life Ministries in the residential program, because 
to me, it's just like a training ground in working all this out. But I'm sure as you've, you know, pastored these men, you've found that even while they're in the program, it just takes a while to make that adjustment. So just maybe as a picture of what people can expect to go through, what does that end up looking like, that adjustment period? Maybe would be a good place to to end here. Well, certainly, uh, when a man comes here into the residential program, it's like going cold turkey uh, from his self-indulgent lifestyle. So uh, that's one of the benefits, really, of someone coming here, like you just alluded to. You know, we wish everyone in some measure could, uh, because it's much more effective. You don't really have a good grasp of how subtle the influence of that pursuit of pleasure and the worldly things has been in your life until you're completely separated from it for a period. And I do recommend that as a potential strategy for, for anyone that they could, you know, lay something down fast from it for three months and then pick it up and see if it feeds you spiritually the way you thought or justified that it once did. Um, Because many times I think you'll find that it really doesn't, but you need that span of time to come to that realization. So the men here are going through that constantly uh, and and just living in a dorm environment with, you know, uh, up to 70 other men who are also coming out of their self-indulgent lifestyle at the same time, really just, you know, it's like walking in a hall of mirrors and you just see yourself in everybody else and what they're saying and what they're doing and how they're acting. And you realize I'm just like them in my own way. I've been just like them and really have hurt people along the way because of that. So, um, and then as men, you know, get to the point where they're graduating, that's one of the things we we stress with them is needing to find the same environment now in their home to take what they've learned here and what has worked for them here and apply it take it home and set up your house set up your environment in your home as close as you can to the things that worked and helped you here at the ministry and that's the process uh, that they have to work through and often there are you know kids involved a wife involved or parents involved and there's maybe a little bit of negotiation so to speak that has to go on but ultimately uh, when you commit something like that to prayer the Lord will help you because he wants that holy environment in your home as a young man Steve Gallagher was addicted to hardcore pornography and he lived a very promiscuous lifestyle But when he finally found freedom through the Lord Jesus, he realized that what had fueled his addiction was the belief that the pursuit of pleasure was the ultimate good. Truth number 13, hedonism opens the door for pornography. Jeremy Bentham, who lived a couple hundred years ago, is considered by many to be the father of modern hedonism. Bentham promoted the philosophy that pleasure is the highest good and ultimate purpose of life, and that pain should be avoided at all cost. Interestingly, he was also a strong advocate for animal rights, the freedom of expression, the right to divorce, the abolition of punishment, including corporal discipline of children, and the decriminalization of homosexuality. In short, 
Much of the liberal agenda of our day can be traced back to his hedonistic philosophy of living to please oneself. For the most part, the evangelical church has withstood the pressure to adopt his secondary pet philosophies about things like homosexuality or the discipline of children. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that when it comes to the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of suffering, there's not much difference between believers and unbelievers. The typical evangelical avoids blatant sins such as drinking and drugging, but the lust for the things of the world is just as strong in his heart as the unsaved. How else can we explain all the television we watch, the internet we surf, the social media we obsess over, the video games we play, and yes, the pornography we give ourselves to? These have all become mainstays of the modern American church. They also represent a lifestyle that's becoming increasingly self-focused, self-indulgent, and self-deceived. And what's disconcerting is that Bentham's hedonistic way of life has become more prevalent with each new generation of churchgoers. For instance, the subject of conversation in a church youth group today is more likely to revolve around Game of Thrones or the Avengers than any meaningful discussion of the things of God. And it's far more likely that selfies and Facebook postings will be shared than Bible verses. Nevertheless, it needs to be said that the love of pleasure is not a new concept. First century Epicureans advocated Bentham's philosophy long before he arrived on the scene. The Christian leaders of that time saw the hedonism of the Greek culture as a great threat to the body of Christ. Nearly every book of the New Testament contains warnings about indulging the lusts of the flesh. The Greek term they employed for lust, epithumia, often refers to sexual desires, but it can actually be used to describe one's craving for any form of pleasure forbidden by the Lord. This craving, which emerges from one's fallen nature, provides the energy that drives a person to go after the sin of his choice. While our church fathers understood this pull of worldly pleasure, they could never imagine the level of temptation we face on a daily basis in our pleasure-driven culture. The prosperity we enjoy and the technological advances of our age have put nearly any desire we can imagine within reach. Such a flesh-pleasing lifestyle can quickly get out of hand because the more a man attempts to satisfy the desire for sin, the less satisfied he becomes. In fact, the more that a person pursues sin, the more inflamed his inward lust will become. As millions have discovered, the ever-driving lust for pleasure cannot be placated. A hedonistic mindset can end up in only one place, a person who sees himself as the center of a universe filled with carnal delights. A churchgoer might be willing to incorporate a few biblical commandments into his lifestyle if he thinks it'll help him escape hell. But if that is what motivates him to be a Christian, he's only fooling himself. A secular hedonist might wonder how his attitude towards suffering is any different from that of Jeremy Bentham. There's no question that a lust-driven lifestyle will quickly hollow a person out. The more he goes to the empty cisterns of this world to seek pleasure, the emptier he becomes. Solomon's an example of someone who forfeited his walk with God for the pursuit of pleasure. At the end of his life, he would write, I thought to myself, 
Come now, I will try self-indulgent pleasure to see if it's worthwhile. But I found that it also is futile. I said of partying, it is folly. And of self-indulgent pleasure, it accomplishes nothing. What he discovered 3,000 years ago is certainly just as relevant to us today. I understand pleasure's emptiness from my own life experience. I spent many of my first 30 years driven by lust and living for self. My sole purpose in life was to have everything I wanted and to gratify my insatiable lust for pleasure. At the heart of hedonism is the adage, if it feels good, it must be right. For the hedonistic Christian, one's feelings determine everything. If he feels like obeying God, he obeys him. If he doesn't feel like it, he doesn't. And if he feels like sinning, he sins. Obedience then becomes a matter of subjective convenience and choice, all revolving around how he feels at the moment. One modern writer expressed the inward conviction of the typical Christian hedonist this way. My feelings determine my choices. I accept only what makes me feel good, happy, comfortable, excited, and so on. I reject what disturbs or troubles me or is too demanding or difficult or threatens my personal pleasure. I also reject whatever has ceased to thrill me. I reject what is boring. Wow, did he ever nail it. If that's the underlying attitude among modern Christians, no wonder heartfelt submission to God is so rarely seen in our churches. And herein lays one of the primary reasons why Christian men have no strength to withstand sexual temptation. Since their feelings are given preeminent place in their lives, they find they don't have the spiritual wherewithal to withstand temptations when they appear. If they live by the adage, if it feels good, it must be right, in every other area of their lives, what makes them think they'll be able to say no to sexual temptation when it comes their way? One of the first things we teach the men who come to the Pure Life Ministries residential program is that they must escape this feelings-driven way of life. Until they make a resolute decision that obedience to God and submission to His will are going to establish the course of their lives, they're never going to be free of the addiction to sexual pleasure. They must learn to obey God all the time, in spite of how they feel. Only then will they have the wherewithal to deny temptation. We also help them to understand that when they return home, they can't go back to the same indulgent lifestyle they had before coming to pure life. It was that pleasure-seeking way of life that allowed their addiction to flourish in the first place. That lifestyle must change before the power of the addiction can be broken. As long as Christians remain committed to the great God pleasure, its various forms will be welcome and the demands of self-denial made by Jesus Christ will be rejected. But I fear many have passed the point of no return. They're addicted to pleasure and happy to have it so. For myself, I had to come to the place of rejecting the idol of pleasure and embracing the cross of Christ. The payoff for doing things God's way is an inner joy and a sense of fulfillment that doesn't need a constant stream of carnal pleasures to make me happy. Don't get me wrong. The Lord is very good to me and has blessed me in countless ways. And I would never want to go back to that old life. 
But I had to come to the place where pleasing Him became the great purpose of my life, whether or not I ever experienced carnal pleasure again. Once that decision was made, how could sexual pleasure keep its grip on my life? So what does the Word of God have to say about a lifestyle of hedonism? Well, it actually says a lot, and if you've listened this far, I'm sure you're realizing that it probably doesn't speak favorably about those who pursue it, and you'd be right. One reason for this is because hedonism paves the way for a highly sexualized lifestyle. Luke Imperato is a biblical counselor at Pure Life Ministries. He joins us today here in the studio to discuss the topic, hedonistic Christianity. Welcome today, Luke. Hey, it's an honor to be here with you, Jim. Glad to have you. Luke, Steve Gallagher has written that today's American Christian is not much different than any other hedonist who is driven by his self-will, who lives for pleasure, who lives according to his feelings. He has an episode in his 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction that he has called a hedonistic lifestyle opens the door for an addiction to pornography. But hedonism is not a word that you hear on the street corner every day. So let's define the word. What is hedonism? Well, the word comes directly from the Greek language into English. Mm-hmm. And it's the Greek word hedone. Right. The word simply means pleasure, but came to mean the pursuit of pleasure, mm-hmm. wanting more and more pleasure. So hedonism refers to a philosophy or mindset that sees the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate good. Okay. Well, now you're a biblical counselor and you have men assigned to you that you walk through the word of God into freedom from addiction. We may not have many students who, when they first arrive Mm -hmm. at Pure Life, would admit that they have a hedonistic mindset. Sure. But after they've been here for a while and they've seen some truth and their minds have begun to clear from the fog, they come to see that that's all they've ever been. Their entire lives have been driven by an endless pursuit of that next hit, that next thrill, that next fix, and their drug has always been pleasure. How have you seen this played out in the lives of your counselees? Well, Jim, before I talk about my counselees, Mm. let me just say that I had a pleasure-driven mindset prior to coming to Pure Life Ministries. Okay. When I was living in my sin, everything I did was motivated by pleasure. I didn't know there was such a thing as a hedonistic mindset. Right. I was just doing whatever my (laughs) sinful nature craved. A hedonistic, pleasure-driven lifestyle is natural and doesn't require any training or outside influence to develop. I mean, look at the life of a toddler. In their first year, in their one-year-old mindset, all they want is what makes them happy. Right. It is clear we are born with a desire for pleasure and comfort. And if left unchallenged, that is all we will ever seek. For me, this led to a life of sexual immorality and drinking. 
While sexual sin is arguably one of the most prevalent fruits of a hedonistic lifestyle, I recently had a counselee who stated one of the main reasons he came to the residential program was because he spent countless hours away from home on fishing trips. Hmm. Sure, there was sexual sin in his life, but his pursuit of personal pleasure also manifested itself in an unbalanced obsession with fishing. Right. Breaking free from a hedonistic lifestyle is not an easy task. I find that once my counselees come to accept the fact that this fight is not going to be pleasurable, but will require them to deny themselves, their pleasures, and their desires, and instead live a life that pleases the Lord, it makes the fight for freedom from sexual sin much more successful. Jesus understood our natural tendencies toward pleasure. In Luke 9.23, he said, If anyone wishes to be my disciple, the first thing he must do is deny himself. Deny himself. Yeah, I have found that this first step to be the most difficult challenge for me and my counselees but it's the first and unavoidable step in the process of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke, before you came to Pure Life, you were active in the church. You led in worship. You were a professing Christian. Yes, that's true. And the vast majority of our men coming into the residential program are confessing Christians when they arrived. They were in church every Sunday. They were claiming to be mm-hmm. a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Many of them were actively serving in ministry. And yet, mm-hmm. after they come here, they realize that their entire lives have been driven by pleasure. And, of course, they were addicted to porn. Yeah, certainly, Jim. I mean, I find that many self-proclaimed Christians are only in it for the money. Hmm. Well, not really money. Okay. But more of a mindset of, I'm a Christian because what it can do for me. For example, when I was in my sin, regularly viewing pornography, I would frequently recite the sinner's prayer just to make sure I was still going to heaven and not hell. Right. Well, it's simple logic. Heaven is a place full of good things that make me smile, and hell is a sad place full of darkness, pain, and misery. Of course I would choose heaven. But if you take apart my reasoning, I was only choosing heaven because it was more pleasurable than hell. Wow. I had a hedonistic view of life (laughs) that overflowed into a hedonistic view of eternity. Yeah, I'm only laughing because I see it, that many people come into Christianity because they're driven by hedonism. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. All right, I want to go back to before modern-day hedonism, and Mm -hmm. see what the Bible has to say about the pursuit of pleasure as a way of life and what that leads to. What can you tell me about this? What does the Word of God say about pursuing pleasure as the ultimate good? Okay. Yeah, the Word does say quite a few things. The word pleasure, or hedone, appears Mm -hmm. in the New Testament only five times. But it's interesting that every time it is, it's in a negative context. In the parable of the sower planting seed on the different soils, Jesus refers to the seed of the word of God being choked out with worries and riches and pleasures, or hedone, of this life so that it bears no fruit. Paul reminds Titus that we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, 
deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And here, he is obviously talking about the behavior of men before they were converted. Right. Notice that men can be enslaved to lusts and pleasures. Mm -hmm. James says that the reason we have quarrels and conflicts among us is because our pleasures, our hedonies, wage war within our bodies. Mm -hmm. And the reason we don't get answers to our prayers is because we ask with wrong motives so that we may spend it on our pleasures. Finally, in Hebrews 11, we're told that by faith, Moses chose to identify with the Hebrew people and share in their suffering rather than to enjoy passing pleasures of sin. So every time the word pleasures appears in the New Testament, it is something to be avoided, something very close to sin, or it is sin. Well, it's not always sin, but it's never presented as a good thing. For example, there are other areas of Scripture that express the same concept but don't use the Greek word hedone. For example, Paul warns Timothy that in the last days the church will be filled with lovers of self or those who only love what they desire or want or only what pleases them. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, in grief he stated that there were enemies of the cross whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So we're certainly living in a time where pleasure, the love of self, and what satisfies my belly and what is what drives our culture. It would sound like Paul was saying, if you're in love with pleasure, you are choosing that over loving God, because yeah. becoming a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Well, that's a direct quote from the passage in 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, mm -hmm. lovers of pleasure rather than lovers yes. of God. And so it seems exactly. like you can't be both at the same time. Either no. you're a lover of pleasure or you're a lover of God. Now, Correct. Luke, do we have anybody in Scripture who was a hedonist? I mean, they may not have been mm -hmm. called that in the Word of God, Sure. But the, are, are there any biblical examples who would serve as an illustration or a warning to us? Well, th the most famous example of a hedonist in the Bible is Solomon, mm -hmm. the Hebrew king and son of David, who, because of his great wealth and power, had the ability to pursue pleasure as a way of life. He writes in Ecclesiastes 2, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. Mm. Solomon is a good illustration of how seeking pleasure can be completely futile. But I think Sodom and Gomorrah are a good warning oh, for yeah. how a pleasure-driven society ends in destruction. We already established it's biblical to say that a pleasure-driven mindset or a lover of pleasure leads to an ungodly lifestyle. In Second Peter, we read, how God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Are Sodom and Gomorrah much different than many of our lust-driven cities today? Well, going back to Solomon in Ecclesiastes, you can 
just go down his list of everything he tried, everything he pursued to find, some meaning in life, some reason for living that made his life worthwhile. His list includes laughter, wine, building houses and gardens, farming, agriculture, owning lands and workers, amassing silver and gold, accumulating wives, concubines. He had everything a man could ever want. It was all emptiness, though. None of it had any meaning. It was what he described chasing after the wind. In fact, Luke, most of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's search for some meaning in life. He examines life from every angle, searching for something that isn't worthless. Did this hedonist find any meaning in anything? Was there anything worth living for? In Ecclesiastes 12, the very last verses, we see his simple conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. At the end of it all, Solomon's searching and all his research, he concluded, all is vanity and that the only hope for mankind is to fear God and keep his commandments. It really all came down to this for him. There was no meaning in anything found on this planet, mm -hmm. but fear God, obey him, because he's going to judge everything that you do. The Christian life was never supposed to be a life in the pursuit of happiness. We live in a fallen world dominated by Satan and filled with sin. Happiness in this spiritual environment is not possible to start with. And Satan is constantly lying to us and telling us that this is what life is all about, that finding pleasure is everything. Yet everything he offers us is a lie and an illusion. It's all designed to keep our focus off of God while he drags us to hell in the pursuit of pleasure. It's a lie. It's not life, but a waste of life. Uh. The meaning of life is the pursuit of God and the pursuit of holiness. Yeah. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. God wants us to be holy as he was holy. He never promised us happiness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The wonderful thing about finding your life in Christ and in holy living is that it is the closest thing to real joy in this life. Mm -hmm. Jesus called it abundant life, full of life. I've heard it said, Luke, that many people nowadays, even Christians, want happiness now in this life, and they look forward to being holy later in the life to come. Happy now, holy later. What's wrong with that philosophy? Well, simply put, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> the message of the Bible is that God is calling us to holiness in this life and promises us happiness in the life to come. If we're not holy now, we will not be happy later. Mm. So the message of the Bible is the exact opposite of today's culture, even in the church. But again, we really can be full of joy in this life. Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. 
but not through the pursuit of happiness by itself. If we pursue holiness, then we are not burdened by the weight of guilt or harmed by the consequences of sin. If we pursue holiness, we have a relationship with God, his guidance and direction, his peace and purpose. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are holy pleasures forevermore. If we order our lives around the fear and worship of God, we will experience God at the center of a well-ordered life. Living in him makes for a holy life, and a holy life is a joyful life. Well, Luke, you've really given us a good look at this subject from the Scripture, and I appreciate you coming in today. Hey, no problem, Jim, anytime. The tagline for this show is this. We take you where real life meets real Christianity as we tackle the tough issues for those struggling with sexual sin. Here's my point. When we say that hedonism opens the door wide for a pornography addiction, we are taking you where real life meets real Christianity. You know, asking someone to examine whether they're driven by pleasure is a much more penetrating question than Hey, what kind of web filter do you have on your computer? And asking someone to analyze how much their heart is tied in with video games and television and social media is way more invasive than, do you have an accountability partner? When you listen to Purity for Life, what you're getting is an examination of the true roots of sexual sin. And if you want real freedom, the kind of freedom that Jesus promises, then you have to deal with the real roots. Maybe some of you have been stirred by this podcast and you want to learn more about the way that hedonism opens the door for pornography. I would invite you to purchase Steve Gallagher's book, Intoxicated with Babylon. That's all I'm going to say about that. We definitely thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.